Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch, and we have an awesome guest today and a really good topic. So today's topic is four pillars to future-proofing your supply chain with Yatish Desai. Welcome, Yatish. Thank you, Joe. appreciate that. So tell us a little bit about where you're from and what you do. So uh, Yatish Desai, I'm a principal from KPMG. I've been with them for 10 years I'm also the U.S. leader for their transportation, logistics, and distribution service offering, where we help our clients from managing all aspects of their logistics strategy to execution to helping them with any technology implementation as well. So tell us about the groups that you serve. What kind of customers? Yeah, so our customers typically fall in four primary uh, industry buckets. First one is industrial manufacturing companies, both discrete continuous production companies to automotive would be part of that uh, bucket. Uh, Second is consumer and retail with CPG companies, food and beverage companies, companies that are that fall in that bucket. Third one is life sciences and pharmaceutical companies. And then the fourth one is in the oil and gas and chemical companies. There's not one of those groups that doesn't have a lot of supply chain and logistics challenges these days and a lot of data challenges. So we'll get into some of that in a minute. So, again, today's topic being four pillars to future-proofing your supply chain. Yatish, I know you guys work a lot with these kind of companies Please tell us what those four pillars are. And let's, why don't you tell us all at one time and then we'll go through in more detail about each one. So, what are those four pillars? Sure, Joe. So, the four pillars, the way we look at uh, future proofing your supply chain is first is around visibility, second is around managing the data, the third one is around predictive analytics, and then the fourth one is establishing and developing curated partner ecosystems. Nice, nice, nice. I know we talk a lot about visibility in logistics. That is, I think probably every third guest talks a little bit about visibility, which obviously very important. But I think you're going to talk about visibility, not in the a narrow sense, which is where's my truck or, you know, when am I delivery going to get here? You're going to talk about supply chain visibility. So why don't you get into that? Yeah. So visibility, way we define it and the way we've seen and the work that we've done with a lot of clients is it's not about just looking at from a functional lens perspective, right? Whether it's, uh, as you mentioned, right, uh, logistics strategy, uh, logistics visibility or looking at where my trucks are. But we look at it from an end-to-end supply chain because with a wide range of internal and external parties that are involved in the supply chain, a lot of the managers have to constantly monitor every activity to ensure consistency. And this calls for high levels of collaboration and connectivity with the partners, their suppliers, our clients. And it's very important that the visibility ties not just from looking at where my trucks are, but also connecting how is my planning function determining what needs to be planned what products are being manufactured at what locations, how do I, what visible information is coming my way from a fulfillment perspective. So it's connecting 
the dots across the value chain under this architecture, what we call is the visibility platform. Yeah, and it's a lot more than what, you know, again, I think we had, we had a little conversation offline is we were all thrilled when we got transportation management systems. I think we we're all thrilled when we had ERP systems, but those being all by themselves is, again, that local optimal that's not particularly useful when you're looking at a supply chain. Yes, that's right, Joe. It's all about how do we really integrate the cross-functional visibility across the enterprise, right? Because we live in a connected commerce and the connected commerce economy that we are living in uh, mandates that we connect all the dots from an end-to-end supply chain perspective, all the way from the suppliers through the customers and the four walls of your supply. Yeah. You know, one way to look at it, it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle where you have having a few puzzle pieces missing in the middle really changes everything about how you look at that picture. So I think what you guys are doing is trying to say, we're going to help you guys get that complete picture. That's correct. So what is the next pillar of so I can future proof my supply chain? I think the next pillar is managing your data. We live in a world where now data is cash, right? And a lot of information is being pumped through a lot of different disparate systems. A lot of legacy systems are in place. And our clients are always wrestling with the problem to say, we're collecting a lot of information. We're collecting a lot of data, but we are not really able to bring all that data together in a most harmonized, standardized fashion that can impact our visibility. And how can we really make sure that that data is, we are able to mine that data to drive some business insights and provide, you know, opportunity for making some real-time decision-making. So when we talk about managing the data, we are talking about setting up some common language, data standards, master data management approach. How do you essentially review your data? How do you engineer your data? How do you map your data so that you can take that data architecture and the data management system together in a fashion where you are pulling from all the different systems and able to drive it into the next pillar, which we'll talk about, is the predictive analytics. Before we jump to predictive analytics, so when we talk about managing data, you know, I'm real sensitive to the idea now of key performance indicators. And I one of the things that drives me crazy sometimes is when I visit a 3PL and they give me almost like a data dump. And I look at it and I go, yeah, but which three or four of these tells me everything I need to know, because I don't want to look at everything every day. I would, you know, it's good that that you can pull all that data, but not all of it is data that I can make decisions from. So how do you, when you're talking about managing data, how do I manage the important few? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, I'll give you an example of one of the clients that we worked with, right? Uh, On a global basis, uh, they were trying to essentially go through this master data management and harmonization of the data where they wanted to pick four or five key uh, metrics that would drive the business performance. And when you have a global client with a lot of different business units regionally spanned, the first challenge is, you know, data is being collected in different systems. The second piece is also how we can help them collect that data and harmonize that data so that you can then start pulling together and understanding, are we able to calculate and compute the right KPIs for that? And so the third piece is then 
are we able to pull this information and the data to actually calculate and compute the right KPIs, let alone coming to an agreement that these are the right four or five KPIs? So that, I think, is a common challenge we see across a lot of different clients is collecting the data is one piece, but then also what do you do with the data to drive your business performance? Particularly if you have KPIs, I've seen clients that have 20 different KPIs, they're collecting a lot of KPIs, but they're not really driving the information from the KPIs to impact the business. Well, yeah, and a key performance indicator means I'm not going to have 20 of them. I'm going to have four or five of them. And one of the challenges I've noticed, and again, I speak from coming from the automotive supply chain and then working in the last 10, 15 years more in the on the logistics side, is so often now I feel like you have to report, especially if you're in a larger company, up through senior management. And you can't bring them your very detailed reports or your, <laughs> and expect them to go through it. All they want is kind of the, what's the cost? What's the performance service-wise? And they don't want all that. And I always say only the most important metrics grow up to be KPIs. So, so that's what I want to show the big boss when I have some sort of review. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because data gets, you know, penetrated in a different fashion, right? You have all these different, you know, metrics and in the plant where you have these dashboards and then you have your strategic dashboards for the leadership. And that data has to flow in a fashion that you're able to not only have your operational metrics at the plant level or at a at an operational level, but also able to compute that back to your financial metrics as well. So tying all the different pieces of your data systems as they're coming from the different systems, whether they're operational systems, your financial systems, becomes a key component of how you go about managing that second pillar. Excellent, excellent. So the first pillar, again, was visibility. Again, not just local visibility across the entire supply chain. Second, you talked about managing your data and you gave us some good tips there. Now you hinted about the third one, which is leveraging predictive analytics. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so the predictive analytics is something that is becoming more and more important to a lot of clients. If you think about how supply chains were managed today, or traditionally, they have been been managed by exclusively by people. In the future, however, a growing number of decisions will be automated which both increases operational speed and responsibility and frees up uh, supply chain professionals to focus on more complex, impactful decision-making. And then tomorrow's successful businesses will feed on this predictive analytics where you are able to drive machine learning algorithms, train computers to identify pattern anomalies across the supply chain and respond automatically with a suite of appropriate countermeasures. So this translates to a future state where supply chains will be able to recognize the accumulations of surpluses and scale back, whether it's from a production perspective, reducing waste and so forth, right? Including anticipating any potential disruption, self-correcting, reducing costly outages, line shutdowns. And the automating the optimization will become the new norm. And tomorrow's businesses will need to be able to make predictive analytics a part of that a future proofing, as we are talking about, into the supply chains if they want to stay ahead of the game. Yep. Yatish, if I could add something. Years ago, I worked for, uh, and for a very short time, I worked for a predictive analytics company. We were creating software. It was based out of uh, Silicon Valley. And 
it was a great company, and we did really good work, and we were growing like a weed. Ultimately, the company went private. I won't mention their names, but they know who they are. But what was interesting back then is we had identified some challenges that it was the old Chrysler had with forecasting new take rates. And you think, oh, well, who cares about take rate? If they take a DVD, they take a DVD. The problem is if you facilitize a plant to make 400,000 DVD players and you only sell 300,000, you've wasted money. On the other hand, if you facilitize for 200,000 and you need 400,000, you've also you've lost a lot of money, right? So over time, we did a very poor job forecasting take rates. And I remember it was a fascinating, I mean, there was just tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars you could save. The challenge is Chrysler didn't have good information to feed us. So we couldn't do the job we needed to do. And so part of this was collecting the data, which I think you just talked about in number two. You kind of have to start collecting that data before you can start analyzing it and making any sense of it. Yeah. And just to build on that point, right? I mean, a lot of companies, and this is a buzzword today in supply chain about control towers. And folks are looking at control towers and building uh, analytics platforms within the control towers more from tracking and tracing and visibility purposes. But what it's now pivoting to is control towers are now essentially getting what we are calling and uh, migrating towards what we are calling it to be cognitive decision centers, right? Because that's where the hub of decisions are going to come from. And decision-making as a business is now becoming more of a, a discipline and a cultural change, right? As a lot of clients that we are talking to are building that decision excellence into their cognitive control towers of decision. And this is where the analytics, the predictive analytics, the machine learning I talked to you about is going to be a vital component, right? Because the information that is getting reviewed, that's getting analyzed, humans can only do so much. And the decisions that are going to be coming out of these cognitive decision predictive analytics hubs are going to be very critical for companies to start thinking about how they can bridge some of the gaps in the human intelligence aspect. So you mentioned something there. So could you go back to the cognitive decision-making centers? Yeah. So as I said, control towers today are built around helping clients mine the data, look at the data and say, okay, we got gaps here. So it's more reactive in nature. And it is also from a diagnostic perspective saying, these are my root causes. But what we are stating and what we are telling our clients is the future is moving more towards saying with the digitization of what's happening through the different systems, you should be able to start thinking about predictive analytics in a different fashion where machine learning, the algorithms that you can build, you will be able to actually have these decision centers provide you with some real-time decision-making business insights where you are now not just looking at it from a reactive perspective, but you're now essentially looking at it more from a proactive perspective. So give you an example, right? We were working with a client who was more focused around looking at control towers to look at root causes of, hey, why did I miss my fill rate? Why did the truck did not show up on time? Uh, and so forth. Now we are helping the client through predictive analytics say, based on my volumes that I'm shipping, based on my carrier rate on our cost per mile, 
or based on my customers that have certain service level requirements, it's able to tell you now where to forecast where the gaps are going to be in terms of not meeting certain service delivery requirements. So those decisions are now being pumped to you so that you can go back and evaluate more from a proactive perspective to take mitigation steps so that you don't land up missing your fill rate or missing your on-time promise delivery date and things of that nature. So this is kind of that first step towards, when you mentioned the automating, you're talking about AI kind of stepping in and, and making those decisions. But first, we as the humans have to say, what is a good decision and what information do I need to make that decision? That's correct. You know, I just read some, I just read a book, AI Superpowers. It was fantastic. And one of the things I didn't realize is, you know, you get, I just, one of the credit card companies just said, we're going to increase your credit limit. And it was kind of a significant increase. And I thought, gosh, I must have done something right. Anyway, what was interesting is I read in that book, or I was listening to it, that most likely it was done by AI. So AI, they've trained, uh, they've got the information coming, and AI made that decision to give me an increase in credit limit. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yep. We'll get right back to the podcast in just a moment. If you sell transportation or logistics services, the Logistics of Logistics can help you sell more. Our customized program will help you understand your sales personality, including your strengths and blind spots, get more sales leads, and improve your communication and salesmanship. We can also position you as a recognized industry expert and help you reach your target audience. To learn more, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And now, back to the show. So what is the last one you already told us, but get into it, the fourth pillar to future-proof my supply chain? Yeah, the fourth pillar is developing uh, curated partner ecosystems, right? And when I talk about uh, partner ecosystems, what I'm referring to is today's successful businesses are moving away from the traditional asset-based supply chains to a managed services model where capital-intensive capabilities such as manufacturing, warehousing, logistics, and distribution are outsourced to partners and contractors. In the future, however, it's just not physical processes that will be managed as a service. As effective supply chain management comes to depend more and more on cutting-edge analytics capabilities, organizations will face a growing skills gap as well across their workforce, which training and development simply cannot fill quickly enough. So tomorrow's market leaders will partner with knowledge providers to give them access to the technical skills, the expertise they need to build their new digital solutions, iterate their platforms, enhance their capabilities as data streams become more and more complex, Businesses will not only outsource the design and architecture and maintenance of the digital systems, but they will also outsource the management of the system as well. As organizations continue to move forward, uh, they will also become a lot more complicated because supply chains are becoming more micro supply chains where, you know, people are now looking at local production hubs, local fulfillment, and we're calling those micro supply chains. And that will require uh, capabilities in order to operate and future-proofing your supply chains where you will have to outsource your functional expertise. Businesses will need to be able to manage not just an extended workforce, but also align alliance partners, service providers, 
will be important for that operating that supply chain of the people. So let's let's step back here for just a second. So you mentioned curated. What do you mean by curated? Curated means you'll have to tailor it to what fits your purpose. For example, if you believe that you need a 4PL for your logistics provider that runs your entire logistics management, you will have to first and foremost understand what your requirements are, understand who are the right partners that you're going to marry with and make that decision in terms of how you can utilize that particular service provider to tailor their services and capabilities to meet your form, fit, function and purpose. And that's what I call curated means tailoring it to your need because you're just not going to say, okay, I got company XYZ out there. I'm going to bring them in because another company ABC is using them. That I think is going to be very important because what we are also observing in the marketplace is the complexity is continuing to grow in a lot of operations and organizations. Customers are becoming more value-driven in terms of giving give me more and more variety. So there's always this constant battle of cost of complexity management versus the value of variety. And in order to balance that, we talk about finding the right partners, tailoring those partners for your own purpose so that you're managing those two requirements on, a, on an equilibrium purpose. So this is a big one. So could you give us like an example how this might work? And again, this is, this is that developing a curated partner ecosystem. Sure. What's that look? What's that look like? Yeah. So a company, a manufacturing company, may say, "Listen, I got this order from a customer. This customer is important to me, but they do not order this day in day out. Right? This is more like my cats and dogs, and I can continue to break into my production schedule. I need to run my assets at the most efficient manner. So I'm going to utilize a contract manufacturer as my strategic partner." who can manufacture these products two or three times a year for me. I can still continue to serve this customer because they are buying a lot of high-velocity products. So that's number one, one part. The second could be saying, hey, you know what? This customer X is buying a lot of these, you know, parcel delivery. They need this particular product in a short lead time delivery window. I do not have the infrastructure to deliver this in a short time window. So I'm going to find a partner that is going to be very specialized in this parcel delivery. And I'm going to utilize them as a logistics service provider, right? Where I'm able to manage them as another third party provider. Planning could be another function where you say, well, I need some more horsepower to do more of this cognitive forecasting. I don't have the capabilities enough, so I'm going to outsource that to somebody who has that infrastructure, has the technology to do this cognitive forecasting for me. So when you start layering that out from an end-to-end perspective, now what you've developed are a network of specialized partners that you're bringing into your value chain who are going to be providing service to you. So you can still continue to focus on your core business, but because of the variety that the customer is demanding, 
you don't have the infrastructure, you don't have the capabilities, you don't have the skill set, you don't have the capital to invest, you're now leveraging those partners and you're building that ecosystem with that partners and tailoring those partners to meet your needs and your service requirements to help drive that value chain. That's where we see the future migrating where because each customer is going to be unique, your supply chains are going to be so segmented, the micro localization is going to come into play. The need for these partners are going to be critical for the future of that supply chain. Yep. And I, if I could add something, I work with a lot of third-party logistics companies. And one of the things I see and I encourage is more specialization. So you mentioned you work in the food area and you work with uh, also manufacturing all these different segments. And I kind of think if you're going to work with uh, food, they really develop some expertise in that. Don't just say, hey, we got a few reefers and, you know, understand that supply chain from farm to fork and become that partner. Because I don't think you're going to see supply chain companies, you know, the big food companies, the big auto companies or their, and their supply chains working with companies that don't have a lot of we'll call it tribal knowledge. I guess it's overused, but tribal knowledge in their space. They want to see that industry expertise, I believe. Not only industry expertise, but they're also going to be relying on these partners to bring them innovation, bring them new technologies that companies are not going to be very cognizant and up to speed all the time, right? They're going to have, they will have to rely on these specialized partners that do this for a living day in and day out. That's their core competencies. So this partnering is not just about providing value and service, but also bringing in innovation into the fold because disruptive technologies are continuing to permeate, right, all aspects of a business. The life cycles with new disruptions coming in, every six months there is a new technology coming in. So this also begs the question around, can we continue to invest? Do we have the capital or can we repurpose our capital on our core part of our business to grow? versus continuing to add more of the investments towards adding these new capabilities. So that's the thinking we are helping our clients think through because in our technologies, the disruption that we're experiencing is going to, we're going to see a lot more of that coming into play. All right, Yatish, this is good stuff. Really good stuff. Thank you so much. So why don't you hit those four topics, just a bullet point on each one of those one more time, and then we'll wrap this up. Sure. So the first one is having visibility from an end-to-end supply chain perspective. Second is ability to manage your data and setting standards and harmonizing that data to drive KPIs. The third one is having a predictive analytics platform. And I also talked about the cognitive decision centers. And then the fourth one is developing a curated partner ecosystems for the future of the supply chain. Well, you've really given us a view of the future, and I appreciate that. So tell us a little bit more about what you guys are doing over at KPMG. Yes, at KPMG, we are helping our clients in three different facets, right? One is there are clients that are hurting from, you know, being their business being stagnant. They are in a turnaround mode, and we are helping clients particularly take a look at how we can help them get their business back on track. The second is helping our clients through growth. We see a lot of M&A activities happening, a lot of synergies happening with those acquisitions. They're in a growth mode and we are helping clients where this topic becomes very relevant. As you continue to see growth, how we can help you future-proof your supply chain and future-proof your business with all the new technologies coming in. 
And then the third piece is essentially helping our clients really become a leader in their space, right? Which is, we call it transformational business change that is driving their businesses to design the new operating model of the future. When we take an example of a company that is moving from not just serving your regular traditional business, but also moving into a consumer segment or moving into a life sciences segment, they are essentially transforming the business into different supply chains. So this is where we are helping our clients run that transformation from helping them from strategies all the way through execution to defining a new business model for them. You know, it's interesting. We talked a little bit offline. I spent most of my career in automotive, and in the past I did a lot of consulting, and I ended up working with KPMG on a few projects, not for them, but with them. And one of the things you get from companies like KPMG is this thought leadership. So so much of us, so many of us, I should say, are working day-to-day, making you know our shipments happening, building whatever product we're building, and serving clients. Companies like KPMG are doing so much research and they work with so many industry leaders that it's almost like you're working 10 years in front of the rest of us. And I know you implement, I know it's not all just thought leadership, but what you've described here today is really kind of the benchmark that the rest of us kind of need to grow into. Yeah. Joe, our clients are expecting us to come with that thought-provoking and be a little bit more provocative, right, for their businesses because you can't afford to continue to operate in a status quo. Change is constant is what we keep talking to our clients about, right? And they expect us to come in and bring that thought-provoking and provocative ideas to challenge their status quo. So that's where we take pride in and bringing those new ideas for our clients to help shape their future and future-proof their supply chain. So, Yatish, if somebody wants to continue the conversation, how do they reach out to you or your team? Well, I will uh, provide you my contact, Yatish Desai, email address ydesai at kpmg.com, and shoot me a note, and uh, we can help you uh, carry this conversation forward. I'll put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes, and I'll also put KPMG or your profile there on the, in the show notes too. So, Yatish, this is excellent. Any final thoughts? No, thank you, Joe. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come on your podcast and talk about this uh, particular topic. As you can see, I'm very uh, passionate about this, and hopefully I'm, uh, I'm able to provide value on this podcast to your viewers and folks that are listening to this. Thank you. You definitely have provided value. Again, you've given us a a view of the future. So thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your continued support is very much appreciated. And until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 